Hi, this is Paul. I've I finished this video with this conversation with Sarah Hill. I thought it was outstanding, and I, I want to go a little further into her her suggestion that the downfall of the university is because of uh, these uh, beta men, beta males. Because actually, that that whole thing went quite far, and my friend James Wellman just, of course man at a university says it's all bs but i actually wanted to apply some of it to the church so in terms of who goes into the ministry so let's listen to the video first here's the part where i'm gonna say something that's a little bit awful okay okay steal yourself i'm like well no i'm just thinking like oh lord i'm gonna get myself in trouble with this okay if you are, That's how you know it's probably true. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. So what I am seeing at universities is that there is a real bifurcation in the performers and the not performers. And the people who are the performers are the women, and the people who aren't the performers are men. And I'm going to tell okay. you why. If you are a man who wants all the things that men want, status and power, and you're achievement-oriented, and you're bright, and you're a go-getter, are you going to go into a job where you go to Oxford and make $60,000 yeah, no, a year? no, definitely not. No, you're not. Okay, now, let's, they're talking about the university, but of course, the universities grew out of the church. Do you go into the ministry? Now, what's interesting is that a lot of people who convert to Christianity, especially if you know, it it goes in really deep. Very quickly, they often kind of want to become ministers. And and I watch people who go into ministry, and it's very interesting. So, so I've been in the profession now. I went to seminary back in the 80s. And so I've had a chance to see, you know, my colleagues and classmates go in and chance to see what kinds of ministers they've become. So think that, keep that in mind while they're talking about college professors. I'm going to be thinking about Christian ministers. Uh, what kinds, what types of men do you think attra are attracted to university jobs? You mean now? I mean ever. You're making sixty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, but I think it, I think it's changed. And so, 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 yeah. so women who go into university jobs are generally women, uh, and and this isn't en masse true, but. Now, I'm also going to get myself into trouble because I have a number of friends who are women pastors. I don't think any of them listen to my podcast, but uh, we'll see what happens. So men who go into ministry. Now, now Jordan says, I think it's changed. And I think in some ways, because Christian ministry has such low status in common culture in the United States and in Europe, I think people did go into so in the early to mid 20th century in the christian reformed church if your son went into ministry that was a that was a high thing because ministers were sort of at the top of at the top of the hierarchy now they all sort of that changed as the 20th century wore on And it didn't, it didn't, depending on the neighborhood. But the brightest and best would be ministers. Ministers were key leaders in their community. If you look at George Marsden's book, The Twilight of the American Enlightenment, he notices that, and still in the middle of the 20th century, ministers were invited on important public panels to talk about the national welfare, et cetera, et cetera. And so the decline of the WASPy elite 
brought with it the decline of Christian ministers. Now, this is this varies from community to community. For example, in the African American community, um, when people learn that I am a minister, they often treat me with deference. Uh, that's also true in other communities that have a fair amount of religiosity still in them. But status in Christian ministers has, has taken a huge hit in the 20th century. Now, Jordan is talking about, now Jordan's about to talk about people that he knew. And and what's interesting, again, back to, well, I just, back to this, this conversation, let me pull it over here. This conversation going on between um, Sam Tiedemann and John Verveke about relevance realization and AI. Um, there's a lot, part of what we're doing here in this conversation is she has a thesis. Now, part of what I thought about a lot during this conversation is what tends to happen with this attempting to use evolutionary psychology as a navigational tool for humanity and understanding. There are a lot of, as Gad Saad once said, you know, just so stories. Uh, we see a dynamic that shows up in the data, in some report or something, and then we tell an evolutionary adaptive story to try to fit the data, and then we take that story and then we try to have a general application for life. This video is full of that. So much modern wisdom is full of that kind of, that particular move where you make this move. And, and so now Jordan's about basically to make this move with respect to uh, his colleagues, because they're both university professors, and she's basically saying, yeah, a lot of the guys going into university research, they're simps, they're beta males, they're... But then they're going to talk about corruption and institutions, which is also interesting. It's, it's, in my experience, more true than it's not, are people who are very competent, driven, motivated, but also want flexibility because they have children. I work 60 to 70 hours a week, yeah. but I get to pick the 60 and 70 hours right, a week right, I work. Right, right. I love my job. I have two kids. I spend a lot of time doing things with them. And I like the flexibility. And most of the really competent academics that I know who are just kicking ass and um, doing a really you know, good job in terms of like discovery um, are, are women. Okay, okay. So and, let's okay. And so I think so let's that take I think the apart. university is like falling apart because there's a lot of people who are mediocre and they're generally old men um, who are trying to maintain the system that rewards mediocrity. And then you have performers coming in and there's a lot of fission that's being created. Okay, okay. Fascinating thesis. And it's interesting again that it is it is going in different ways for men and women that the the women want the flexibility they're maybe not as motivated they have a super interesting conversation here about women in the law profession jordan's talked about that for years because he used to work in it and so now he's going to take this apart this is just a this was again in the sam harris video i talked about the fact that jordan in this video is so different from jordan in the sam harris video this is this this is a fun this is a fun jordan for a conversation so, so there's two two elements at play there. There's this, an element of sex and there's an element of performance. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's take this apart a bit and, and see if we can get to the bottom of it. Well, first of all, you can't pathologize the behavior of one sex without pathologizing the behavior of both. Right. I. 
right? right. Okay, so yeah, yeah, so yeah. we'll use that as an axiom, yes. and then, and and I thought that, and you know, Jordan is always getting, oh, he's misogynist. No, I don't think he's misogynist at all. I think he's, we just have this rule in our culture that, and it wasn't Jordan that pointed this out to me. It was another guy who nobody is going to accuse of being misogynist. Um, I'm not going to name him, but he said, you can't critique women in this culture. You know, it's like women are perfect. And the problem is, trust me, as clergy, I know once people put you up on the pedestal, boy, they're going to kick that pedestal out when it serves them. You asked me what sort of men were attracted to university jobs. When I started my career, the answer to that was men, the, the, the one the, in, in the universities that were really working, I think my supervisor was a good example of that. He was a football player. He's a tough guy. He was extremely, extremely curious. Yeah. Right. So he went into a university position. Okay. So, so he's a football player. He's a tough guy. So he's got the, the testosterone masculine traits. He's also driven. So that testosterone drive, she, she talks in this video later about because she talks about progesterone and estrogen and then testosterone. And she talks about testosterone as a reactive um, hormone. Whereas, you know, in previous videos, especially the ones behind the, in the membership area, we've talked about the fact that women, women set the pace. They really do. And when you look at this with respect to estrogen and testosterone, that's still true. Women, women are the arena men are the agents that's that's kind of the male female um separation here because he wanted to do research and i was fortunate i when i did my graduate training at mcgill i was surrounded mostly by professors who actually were oriented towards discovering the truth in the course of the research but i saw that over time deteriorate in in favor of careerists yes and and I okay careerism now, careerism has been the bane of clergy for centuries, ever since probably, I, I'm, I don't, my feelings on Constantine are nuanced. I'm not with the Protestants that say everything went just to crap with Constantine, not at all. I, you'll hear me talk about the fact how Jesus won the empire. But part of what an establishment means is careerism is a problem. Now, this is a super complex thing because your career is one of these variables that you have to consider. And in the ministry, this is the same way. We have very similar things where I would say many pastors want to go into ministry in a local church because it's more, especially in a Protestant world, it's more like a business. It's very much like a business. Now, you can be like me and have a very unsuccessful business, <laughs> at least as far as my local church goes. But it's it's got more, to, more of that business aspect to it. So I think Protestant clergy tend to, this is an observation made by de Tocqueville and by many others when they look at America and Europe, because you didn't have state churches. American clergy are much more like businessmen. And so American clergy sort of go after things. Um, Rodney Stark made the same point. A lot of people, when looking at the growth of the church in America and the growth of the church in Europe, said American pastors are more like business people because if they are unsuccessful, their family doesn't eat. 
And so that then will impact the kind of people that will go into ministry, especially depending on the way a particular church is structured. At the same time, you have to keep an eye out for your institution. And so you need a, you need a division of labor with respect to that. I would put most university administrators in the bin of careerists. Yes. And careerists are interested in the secondary benefits of their career, maybe that's security and maybe it's status, and not interested in the pursuit. The only people I saw who pursued a university career who had justification for it, who were men, their justification was, I'm so interested in pursuing, let's say, scientific truth and the expansion of knowledge that I can find my status, my interest there. And if I have enough money to allow that to occur, that will be fine. And I thought... And again, there's so much overlap here with respect to ministers there, because most ministers are not fundamentally about the bottom line, or you would not get into this job. There are a few ministers out there, and you can find them on the internet, that draw huge salaries and live in enormous houses, etc., etc. But that is different from the rule. Most ministers have a passion and a drive and a mission, and that's why they got into ministry. Now, there are various passions and drives and ministries within the church. Some people are big in terms of evangelists. They've got great personal evangelism. Some people love to study the Bible. Some people live and die for pastoral care. Some people want to build their church up to be a big church. So there's a lot of different things that ministers can do. But again, it's sort of this male drive. Now, women in ministry? <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. I've never thought about it on these terms before. So that's why this was such an interesting part because they weren't talking about, you know, ministry. I'm just going to say a word about this particular video and filming now. It, there's just a chance that some of the people on Daily, because I know the people on Daily Wire keep an eye on my channel, um, or some of the people, some of the, the people that keep an eye on my channel are usually not the stars on these other channels. They're usually the people, and I met some of you at ARC, so came up to me and says, you don't know me, but I work on such and such a thing. And so this is a great shot. What a, what a wonderful, um, yeah, what a, just kind of a wonderful setting. Um, the lighting is good. And again, you know, some people complained about her and her voice. I, I, I think it's an engaging, engaging conversation, and I love the style that they had going back and forth. I thought, I thought this was one of his, one of his better interviews. I thought that was a perfectly reasonable game. Now you brought up a couple of things there. Now, and and, and let, let me say that that there's a lot of people who go into science for the. I, I went into science because I love research yeah. and I love discovery, and, I, and I'm creative, and it's a perfect venue for a creative person to just think about things and then go test them. It's like yeah. so fun. And that's the same for ministry. I mean, I, I do, my sister's more, my older sister's more creative than I am, but I, I'm pretty creative and a little ADHD, which is why my channel hops around to all kinds of different things. But yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and, and I don't think that what I was saying is characterizing all people in all the motivational states. I'm yeah. just saying on the whole, it seems like that, like when we look at who are these careerists that go into this field um, and, you know, and essentially because it's, it's low risk and, you know, and you, and you have this stability, um, when you have men who are making that choice, 
it's a very different it's a very different phenotype okay, so and I, and I think part of the reason that Christian ministers in America, because it isn't low risk. Now, some denominations it is and some denominations it isn't. It really varies denomination to denomination. That a woman makes. Okay, so choice. maybe we have a feedback loop. Okay, right. so imagine this. Imagine that as the universities become comparatively lower paying and more maternal in their orientation towards the students, they attract a larger and larger proportion of relatively dependent men who aren't adventurous enough to make it outside of that sheltered environment. And now, what about that with women clergy? In the 90s and early aughts, we were trying to, we were recruiting a lot of church planters for Sacramento. And one of the things, and then we were in conversation with other churches and other churches that were in similar denomination with the Christian Reformed Church, mostly, most of the 90% of the clergy are men, 10% are women. The majority of those women work in not lead, senior leadership roles, but um, other roles within multi-staff churches. Not a lot of women church planters. They're very unusual. Most women don't go in for church planting. It tends to be the men. And I also wonder how women leading church impacts the impacts the 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 style of the church. And and I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not trying to point fingers, or some of you will do that just fine in the comment section. But you know, one of the things that they pointed out later in this video is that when it comes to talking about men and women, there is this there is this interesting trap where as a culture, we want to say, no, they're both the same. But then they would say, no, they're very different. It's like, oh, wait a minute, you can't have it both ways. Now, there are ways in which we're the same and there are ways in which we're different, but it's not unusual to imagine different outcomes. And again, we have to press the fact that we're, we're talking about bell curves here and the bell curves don't exactly sort of, they're not the same, they don't really line up. And one of the things, Again, some of you say, well, Vander Clay's, you know, throwing women clergy under the bus. I'm very glad that in at Living Stones, we have long had um, women elders here because I have noted that male elders and female elders tend to have strengths and weaknesses in different areas. And same with women deacons and men deacons serving in the church. And I think the same with, with pastors. In many churches, the first lady, usually the pastor's wife, is sort of a, another adjunct pastor. Um, that sometimes happens. That sort of has gone away with a lot of churches because a lot of women work. And so when you interview for a job, a lot of times women were like, you're not interviewing me for a job. He works for you, not me. Then there are other other times when people go into the 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 church to do ministry together so it varies a lot but it's a really interesting dichotomy and that and what that does in turn because the men act out that pattern of dependency is it reinforces the idea that the inappropriately maternally oriented women have what would you say insufficient charges that they need to take care of you know like and i wonder if that works that way in denominations, you can look at theological seminaries in liberal traditions that get just overrun by women. And you would imagine in some of those denominations, the churches then have, there are many, many women looking for churches. And in many of those denominations, numerically, they're an absolute freefall. 
So super interesting how this stuff plays out. Things did things really do tend to spiral out of control when a positive feedback loop emerges. Right. right, right. So if you want to become alcoholic, right. the best way to do that is start to drink to cure your hangover. Right. Because it works. Right. But it produces a worse hangover. Right. And if you want to develop agoraphobia, have a panic attack and then avoid. Right. Right, right. So most forms of serious psychopathology, if you want to become depressed, get sad and then isolate. Right. So many forms of psychopathology are positive feedback loops. So we could imagine that when a social institution starts to spiral, that there's multiple causal forces at work that are reinforcing each other, because that would also produce a rapid transformation. But OK, so you countered my proposition that the universities are deteriorating because they're being invaded by inappropriately maternally oriented women by saying, Yes, but they're also inhabited by, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, by men who are looking for a dependent and less competitive niche. Yes. Is that, is that a fair summary? Yes. Do you think that's in keeping with what you're observing? Um, I yes, maybe the the um, the, the maternal side of it thing. I don't see but i'm you know i'm a woman and so it might be harder for me to like i don't well i, don't I see, see it in the that. concern with microaggressions with the concern with right. with equity with like the the all these okay but do, we, but i and, and look and again these are going through churches right now too we we have that i mean we have so much of that and i i, I was just telling one of my colleagues for the very first time in my entire life and i've been teaching for 15 years this semester was the first time I didn't just have like unfettered enjoyment teaching my evolutionary psychology class. And it's because I'm terrified. Every day yeah, I yeah, go I started into my to class. That in 2016 I'm, when I was teaching. Yeah, that I go into my class yeah. feeling terrified. Like I'm talking about biological sex and I have to spend a lot of time, you know, talking about what biological sex is, what gender is, and, and talking about because the, the two things play into each in, in, in really interesting ways, actually. And, um, and so I, I spend time talking about that, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get totally destroyed yeah. on my, because everything, you know, ultimately in evolutionary biology comes down to sex. And the reason I started my book off with the chapter, what is a woman is that it's so foundational, this idea that as a biological female, that you, um, invest more in offspring. And what this means for you as a woman is it means that the costs of sex are higher. Mm -hmm. Right. And this creates a, a completely like a mating market where women essentially get to call the shots with sex. Right. And men sort of do the things that they need to do in order to get chosen. Um, but then what happens when there's no consequences for women's sexual behavior? I mean, you know, because the, the fact that women have consequential sexual behavior has set the stage for things like women being choosier about sex, yeah, men yeah. being more competitive yeah. um, to be able to get access to the things that women want in, in partners. And when all of a sudden we make sex non-costly for women, which has been a huge achievement for, for women, but it has these huge consequences on everything because so much of who we are and our social behaviors and the, the types of things that motivate us are sort of built around the system of sex being costly for women. Finally, the perfect gift. <laughs> these ads, these ads on Daily Wire um, just blow me away, especially when they're... Um, well, anyway, good, good time to... Good time to quit. 
So, what do you say? In fact, I know what a lot of you are going to say. And I might not like it, but go ahead. Let me know. Let's hear it in the comment section.